to our beautiful deep community, I want to assure you the deeper is going nowhere and the same incredible content will be released every week, but now through Arise. It is going to be less trauma heavy and more inspirational, uplifting, but it will still challenge and push you to grow. For all your deeper episodes, they are still available every fortnight. You can still get your deep hit with the deeper subscription. You are staring dead at them in the eye, talking about their baby with them, and you just feel like you're being lied to and speaking to the person who put them in this bed. Welcome to The Deep. I'm Zoe Marshall. In my early 20s, a lot of traumatic things happened. And ever since then, I have had this fascination with people and their stories. This is The Deep. I acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which I work and live and recognise their continuing connection to land, water and community. I pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging. Danielle is a paediatric intensive care nurse. That means she cares for children and their families at the worst point of their life. Children who are sick, children who are abused, children who are dying. I think anyone who's able to take on this role deserves a medal. Danielle has seen the worst things children go through and still gets up every day to do it again. Content warning this episode discusses child abuse and child sexual abuse. Support resources will be linked in the show notes. Danielle, welcome to The Deep. Thank you for having me. Can you explain what you do for a profession? So I am a paediatric intensive care nurse, which nurses for children who in some way are on uh, life support. Okay. So life support, does that mean end of life or does that mean they just come to you when they're critical? What, what does that exactly mean? So it's usually when they're coming to us when they are critical. Um, so we're always trying to do our very best to save their life. Um, the children in paediatric intensive care, um, which I'll just shorten that to PICU, um, they are acutely unwell um, and need, uh, whether it be um ventilation so like a breathing tube and a breathing machine to do the job for them or a machine to kind of do their heart for them or their lungs for them or medication to keep their heart pumping or pumping well enough um but we're always trying to do our best to save them and do what we can to save them but sometimes it goes down the route of end of life because we do our best, but we can't save everyone. When you're saying life support, does that mean that it's generally an accident or can that also be disease, end of life care as well? So it can be diseases. Um, it can be uh, things that they were born with. So we see a lot of children with heart defects that they were born with that developed in utero. Um, we see lots of accidents as well, whether that be like car accidents or we see a lot of what we call non-accidental injuries, so children who have been abused as well. Oh, God. Okay. It's a range of everything. Do you mean that you're seeing children that have been so badly abused, they're on life support? 
Yes, or they some of them have not survived, so they've been beaten to death. <gasps> how does one do this job? Like, how do you get up every day and do this? It definitely has its um, challenges um, where you feel like it's taking a piece of your soul, but at the same time, it feels like the biggest privilege as well to walk with these families and care for these children and do everything you can. Like it's a phenomenal team that you try to do everything you can to save them. And if it doesn't end up in the outcome that we're trying to do, it's a privilege to also try and give a child the best send off that you could possibly do for them. And I've always said, like, a good death is just as important as a good recess. Um, and not that death is good, but you want to make it as beautiful and peaceful in that environment that you can under those circumstances for that family. I'm sure I'm not the only one listening to this as a parent feeling incredibly triggered and emotional thinking about children who have illnesses or genetic um, issues or abuse and thinking, I mean, it's even hard to just watch on a fictional TV show, let alone be, you know, our interview was late today because my daughter was crying and I was holding her and I was in her crib and I was thinking about our interview and looking at her little arms and thinking of cannulas and needles and all of the things, you know, that families and yourself have to deal with is there in your training any ways or, or strategies to cope there's no training for it there's nothing that can quite prepare you for what you go into um when you first start off in in the world of pediatric intensive care we support each other as colleagues. You find those people you connect with and you support each other in that way. And I guess you develop ways over time to try and keep yourself sane and mentally well through it. It definitely has its challenges and particularly some cases can trigger me more than other cases in particular ways um, or that have been quite traumatic. Um, that sometimes you just have to come home, have the biggest cry, and you have to just carry on your life as well, which is the hardest part, is that you journey with these families through the worst time of their lives, and you then come home or go on to the next shift or have the next patient. or Like I've literally watched a child die and sent them to the morgue and then admitted the next patient. And it's like you have to, it's so unnatural, but you're expected to just quickly compartmentalise. And so you have to go home and try undo that and actually try to be human about it, but then not, it, not let it come into your life so much that it consumes it as well. How? 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 Do you have nightmares or do you project that onto your own child? Like how do you go home and wash that off your body? you know, in your soul, and your mind? I, um, personally for me, 
Um, so I've been doing this job for seven years now and uh, about 18 months into it I realized that to stay mentally well through it because I really wanted to do that job I got a counselor um, and so I see her frequently as kind of supervision um, and I have ways of managing my job with her and I kind of have little mantras when I go to work to get in the zone and coming back from work to try and like wash work off from me um, and I always just go straight into the shower and just kind of wash the day off. Does it impact you on the job where you'll cry like in front of parents or do you have to remain professional and even if you've been with this child for weeks or months and known this family and then the worst thing happens and the child passes and they're devastated like what is your position in that? There's definitely been times where I have cried in front of a family but not like I've shed a tear but my job is to support them and if they feel that they need to then console me then that's not okay because it's about them yeah but I feel like a lot of families kind of appreciate that you're still human in it as well that you're not kind of cold-hearted that you do truly care um and you share it with them and you hug with them and you cry with them and yeah, I do let them see me cry sometimes. Then what happens once they walk out the door and you've gone through this experience of nurturing a small or nourishing or nurturing and helping a small child to their death and then this family moves on and organises a funeral and mourns with their family and grieves and they're out of the hospital, is it just like oh, it, it's done, you know, it's over. Yeah, it is really hard sometimes because you don't then get to see them again or you don't always find out how they're doing. We do have a bereavement team that follow up with the family. I think it's six weeks after the child has passed away. So if the family have any medical questions or want to have a meeting um, that, we can check in on them and they can ask those things. Um, but sometimes the families that have been there, sometimes their child's whole life, because we've got children who are born and come to us straight away and sometimes they don't leave. Um, and so we have kind of become their family and know the child more than those parents, family and friends of that child and so they invite us to the funeral or to a memorial service um, which is quite nice for us to be able to do that with them as well. Mm. It feels like one of the I'm going to say hardest jobs that exist. Do you think there's a time limit on this for you and your mental health? There's definitely a time limit on it. I don't see myself finishing the job in the near future, but I know it's not a forever job. It's not a job that even with support, I don't feel it's something that you can come out of long-term healthy from. It's, it's a completely alien world and it's 
it's hard to explain and comprehend and it's just this whole warped world on its own that that is the rare of the rare that you see but you're seeing it day in day out and it's it's hard because I'm I'm thinking like are you seeing little babies all the way up to like what's your age range so we see them from sometimes a few hours old to uh, 16 years old how many a week are we talking like how many patients are you seeing a week so our unit is over 30 beds now but we we have paid like we have hundreds of patients come through the doors every year so I don't know how, how many, many at a time. In, in a, yeah, at a time, but yeah, it's hundreds. It's hundreds of a year. Yeah. How many? Like, is there a percentage that pass, or is it just very random? And one week it might be three people, and one week there's none. And yeah, it's really random. So I remember one shift there was three patients that died in one shift. And then there was none for a while. Um, So it's completely random and, yeah, and those shifts are really hard. Obviously there is a lot of death and we can all imagine and never know what that is like day in and day out, not to just um, witness and help children pass but be there through really difficult, painful excruciating moments with them, moments that are full of hopelessness. Is there anything that surprised you about the job that we might never, as an outsider looking in, get to know or see or even think is possible? Yeah, the lengths that our team can go to to save someone is incredible the skills the knowledge it is such a privilege to be a part of the team and seeing the children that survive that you didn't think would survive or you didn't think could survive at all that there was no way it was not a case that was ever going to walk out the door and they do and those are what fuel you and keep you going to save the next child and do your best to try do that for them. And, yeah, that is what really keeps us going. Would you say you have witnessed miracles? 100%, yeah. So this person will not live, they will not walk, they will not talk or whatever, and they've completely turned it around? Yeah, and it's completely unexplainable um, sometimes. Obviously, We hope it's all the things we've done, but even sometimes with all the things we've done, we've prepared the families for the absolute worst and we get updates then from the families of them now integrated back into school and starting to do their sports and making really good recoveries and we're just like, wow, who would have thought that that person in that bed on the machinery they were on, that there was no way that we could have ever had envisioned that. Is it, I don't want to say common because I don't think a miracle is common because it's a bloody miracle, but how many of these have you seen in your past seven years? Definitely more than a handful, but I kind of feel that every child who makes it out of Piku is a miracle. There's so many 
things that can go wrong, could go wrong, these small little bodies, particularly the little babies that have so much to overcome and they make it out of piku. I think that's a miracle in itself as well. Yeah. Is there like a common thread that there is, um, you know, more so genetic disorders that you're seeing and working on or is it uh, diseases or is it accidents? Like is there ever like it's a 50% it's all accidents and the rest is all mixed up or is it varied? It's varied, um, but I would say I think it's roughly 30 to 40% of our cases are cardiac cases, so children who um, are born with a cardiac defect is the most common or who had developed a cardiac condition later on in life. Um, but most of them are congenital heart defects is what we see. 30 to 40%. Yeah. And then the rest is all mixed of neuro, respiratory, oncology, um, all different sorts. Are you in the palliative care or is that in a different area? That's a different area. There's a whole separate team that does palliative care, but a lot of what we do in terms of end-of-life care is palliative care as well. Mm -hmm. We've had on the show before um, death doulas, you know, people that help assist families or those passing to go with more grace, and you've mentioned that already as a huge part Mm -hmm. um, of your job. Do you work with others like do 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 families bring in people to help that as well or is it generally your is it all on you and the team pretty much it is so sometimes they bring in like if they are religious they'll bring in like a priest or someone that they want to pray um for their child um, they'll bring in other family supports to support them, but in terms of doing that end-of-life type of care, that's all on us. So we do things like um, hand and footprints for the families. Uh, we can get someone in to do some hand and foot castings for them. So we go down that route of care for the child and the family. What's the most difficult thing that you've witnessed or disturbing thing that you've witnessed in your position with your job? Um, there are, (laughs) there are a handful that get me every time. Um, but I would say one of them was a child who was beaten to death and I had nightmares for a good week plus with him. Um, I have never, I have seen, sorry, I'm trying not to cry. You're welcome to cry. It's it's fucking horrendous. It is horrendous. And this kid gets me every time with that I think of him. But I have seen a lot of children abused in the seven years that I've worked at this job. But I have never seen a child tortured like this boy. And it was the most horrific case I've ever, ever seen. Do you mind telling us how old he is or roughly? He was roughly primary school age. Okay. So you see this child, does he arrive conscious? No. Is the heart still beating? The heart is still beating, yeah. 
and you do what you can to resuscitate and bring him back. Yes. Who brings him? Who? How does he find his way into care? Because I'm assuming if you have attacked a child so viciously, you may not want to take them to the hospital. Yeah. And I'm going to call the person a torturer because that's what I believe they were to this child. They, I think, just don't, I don't know how to word it, but I don't feel that they always comprehend that their actions have severe consequences of taking the child's life, that there is a limit. And so at the house this boy was at, the limit got reached and they then called the ambulance and the paramedics found him um, unconscious at the home and brought him into the hospital where our team went and retrieved him to bring into the intensive care unit. My interpretation of this is when you say torturer, is it was a parent or carer that called? Yes. So when this happens, I'm sure that there's some level of reporting that needs to be done as well to child services. You don't know anything that happens after that, do you? Uh, We did know a little bit because he was in our unit for a number of days, I think maybe a week until he passed away um, where we had been trying to save him. So we kind of knew a little bit through those services. It's really hard in child abuse cases because the child, if they survive, they can't say anything. They usually don't have the words to either articulate it or they don't have words full stop because they're a baby. And so not many people get convicted in child abuse cases. But this case, there was no doubt about it. And it is one of the first cases of child abuse in the seven years I've been there that I have seen someone convicted. Awful. That's that's some fucked up statistics, isn't it? Yeah. It took a death because it's undeniable. Yeah. And are you seeing, oh, it makes me want to vomit. Are you seeing cases of sexual assault? We don't see sexual assault cases. There's sometimes speculation of it, but usually their physical presentation um, from the physical abuse, which is usually um, blows to the head or the abdomen that have caused major internal damage is what we see. I'm thinking if it was maybe a combination or how you can even, um, I guess, look look for those things, you know, uh, penetration and things like that. If they're a child or if they are conscious, like it's also traumatic for them. I'm wondering how you do those checks or how you, you know, like it would be all the investigating that would have to go in for those things without traumatizing the child more. Yes. So one of the things in our unit is that most of the children are in comas, um, 
so usually they're in a medical induced coma so thankfully they don't remember it from the drugs that we give them for understood okay and how do how do you get consent to treat a child or to examine a child if the parent is the abuser so when it comes down to their life um medical intervention oversees that so it's about saving their life and we do what we can to save their life and then we have discussions after understood okay because that feels very complicated especially in child abuse cases of physical trauma because i would assume that the care or parent would be taken away from that situation so they are allowed to stay in our unit until they are convicted. <gasps> Cuz I'm thinking holy shit. So this has happened. You're trying to save this child's life and then you're looking at the perpetrator. Yeah, and it's sickening. And there are times where you are like, I know it was that person. I'm so sure, but you've got nothing to prove it, but you get this ick and feeling in your stomach around them and you just you just know in your core that it was them but they aren't saying anything and and you feel like the ones who are guilty come in and overcompensate and bring the biggest titties and it's just it's sickening and you have to still be professional you still have to be nice because at the end of the day until they are convicted they could be innocent but you are staring dead at them in the eye talking about their baby with them and you just feel like you're being lied to and speaking to the person who put them in this bed have you ever been um called as a witness or to make a testimony of anybody that's been on trial or that's been convicted um i have had one phone conversation with a police officer but i haven't been called into court but i know some of my colleagues have this is just a bit much this whole career do you have a child i do have a little baby yes. how is that with this it was challenging being pregnant in our unit with my first baby um knowing that some of these conditions weren't picked up until after the child was born or it was a traumatic birth and this is what happened so it was really challenging being pregnant and trying to mm. keep the the peace in my pregnancy uh with that um but i am still on maternity leave so i haven't been back to work since i've had my baby so that's going to bring its own new challenges absolutely i can't actually cuz i'm sure you're like every parent that once you have your child and you're looking at this tiny little thing and as soon as you watch a show or hear a podcast or anything about child abuse it just hits different yeah i'm i'm it's going to be interesting to check back in with you to see how that is do you have lots of colleagues that have children and have you spoken to them about how that is for them to cope yeah quite a few of them do have children and 
they've definitely said the cases where it's a kid of the same age as theirs and look similar, um, they've found that really challenging um, and hit home a lot more. And there's even been moments while I've been at home with my baby and I remember her when she was 10 weeks old looking at her thinking, I've looked after a baby that was 10 weeks old with literally fist marks, <gasps> like bru bruising, bruising on them. How could someone do that to a 10 week old baby? And they had healing fractures and it was like, well, it takes four to six weeks for healing fractures. So they were beaten at least at four weeks old. So how could someone do that to a baby when I'm holding my baby and all I want to do is fiercely protect her? Mm. How could someone possibly do that? Yeah, it's oh. definitely going to bring its challenges going back to work. How long do you have? Uh, only another couple of months. Okay. God, we wish you a lot of strength for that time because the thing is your job is so vital, you know. Someone has to do it. It, it, it. It's incredible. Like you are incredible. Nurses, full stop, are angels of this earth, but someone that can turn up to work and see what you see and do what you do to help is just Oh, it's awe-inspiring. It really is because I know so many of us listening, there's no way we could do that. Is there ever impact on your relationships? I did find with my husband in the beginning, I would bring it home a lot and talk about it a lot. And I'm very thankful he's not medical. Um, and so he can bring me back to reality and remind me that this is a very rare percentage that I see and not all children are dying um, or, or fighting for their lives. Um, but I did get to the point where that's, those conversations were too much at home all the time. And so it was affecting our relationship and he was feeling the burden of my work more than he needed to. I get it. it because some people can cope and some people just can't. Yeah. Can I ask you, is there anything else you would like our listeners to understand about you or this job? Obviously being in a hospital is really stressful and it sometimes brings out sides of people that they didn't know they had. Sometimes those are ugly sides and sometimes those are really beautiful sides but us as nurses we're not the bad person sometimes are you saying you get attacked yeah and abused verbal abuse is quite a bit and we are trying our very best amongst a very broken healthcare system and we truly all, all my colleagues i can think of we truly, truly, deeply care and we are trying to do our very best for your child um, and and the family because with children it's not just nursing for a child, it's nursing for the whole family. Oh, I'm really sorry, but that's such an important thing to add. Can I ask you our final question today is who are you when no one's watching? 
I guess outside of being a nurse, I just like to chill, have fun, enjoy a glass of wine to wind down um, and just not take the days for granted. Yes. Yes. It's uh, really hit home for me that health is all that matters, you know, your family being safe and healthy. I thank you so much for being with us on The Deep today. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of The Deep. If it's left you with any burning questions for me or our guests, please hit us up by direct message on Instagram at What's the Deep. Hi, everybody. It is Zoe here. Change is coming to the deep. I want to welcome you to Arise. It's uplifting. It's quirky. It's curious. It's all about the mindset and self-discovery to be more helpful and of service. During 16 of the Deep, you will hear some of these episodes and I'd love to hear what you think of them over on our Instagram at What's the Deep.